we're going to get ready to jump back into our series called Who We Are. Everybody say, Who We Are. We're sort of talking about our core heart and ethos here at the Greenhouse as our church family. Last week, how many of you were here for Pastor Malik as he preached a word? about how we long to be fluent in the scriptures, that we don't just take little bites and pieces, little morsels, we wanna feast. We, we read the word to feed on the word. We wanna be fluent in the scriptures. If you have a passion for the Bible or maybe have had a difficult time or struggle, is that Jude Lean? What's up, Jude Lean? Oh man, we love you guys. It's so good to see you. Anyways, I got distracted. We love the scriptures. We love the Bible. If you missed a servant, check it out on our podcast or our YouTube channel. This morning, I want to talk about something so huge, so seismic, so cataclysmic within our ecosystem that it literally caused us to change our name. If you've ever wondered, why are we the greenhouse? My friends keep asking if we're a medicinal marijuana dispensary. True story, happens all the time, answer is no. Anyways, uh, but you can still come and check us out. Uh, this is why we're the greenhouse. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter two. And if you're ready, say, let's do this. It says in verse 46, every day, these first followers of Jesus, these early disciples, every day, somebody say every day, Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number, what does it say? Daily, wow. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, those who were being rescued. This morning, I wanna talk about why we are called the Greenhouse Church. Let's pray. Jesus Speak, help, inspire by your spirit in your name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five as you find your seat. We're going to jump into this thing. I don't mean to brag, but my wife Nancy can cook, y'all. Like, if you've ever gotten to come to the Lash household and partake in the delicacies, she'll make some arroz con habichuelas, as the Puerto Rican peoples do, that are absolutely delicious. Nancy could just innovate in the kitchen. I mean, she's amazing. She'll, she'll experiment. She'll, she'll, she'll whip something up. I'm like, babe, how did you do that? She's like, ah, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. How many of you, by the way, can just cook? You don't even need a recipe. You could just cook. Anybody out there with that gift, God bless you. You could invite AJ over. I'll come too. We would love to hang with y'all. Um, my wife, I mean, she she just gets in there. She's creative. She does all this kind of stuff. I mean, she just innovates in the kitchen, and I'm so happy for her, and I get to enjoy the fruit of her labor, but I can't do that. How many of you are like, I need a recipe if it's even going to be edible? All right, one time for us, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can follow directions sometimes in the kitchen, and, um, but I, I just can't, I just can't, like, make stuff up, you know? Like, I just can't create in the kitchen. If, if I create in the kitchen, you know what I'm creating? Indigestion. That's what I'm creating. Like, it is not a pretty thing when I go in without a recipe. Anybody, can I get an amen? Like, any, somebody. Come on, at least a few of y'all, not making me feel bad. Let me take it spiritual for a moment. I love and we love the book of Acts because this is what we see from this first community of followers of Jesus. This is what we see, this inspiring, amazing, incredible representation of what it can look like when ordinary people become passionate followers of the Messiah, this teacher, this rabbi named Jesus. In the book of Acts, we see what I will go ahead and call the, the original recipe. Before there got to be all of this structure and organization and lights and, and buildings and, and edifices and infrastructure, there was this ragtag group of Jesus followers. And what we see here in Acts is so inspiring to us because what we're given is the original recipe. When this whole community of Jesus followers thing kicked off, we had the book of Acts. Now, when it comes to recipes, I, I want to take it back to the culinary variety. When it comes to recipes, we would all acknowledge that there is no perfect recipe, right? It, it, you, you maybe start in one place, but you're, you're always kind of tweaking. You're, 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 you're mixing up the nuances. Maybe your taste buds evolve and develop as you mature. And so you're adding little components, but the core components of the recipe remain the same. There's no perfect recipe. And in the same way, there is no perfect church. 
If you look through the book of Acts, there is a perfect God working with very imperfect people. Matter of fact, it gives us lots of hope because these book of Acts followers of Jesus, they got drama and they got issues and they need tissues. And I mean, it's kind of a mess in some ways. There's no perfect church because if there was and you show up, you'd mess it up, right? No, yeah, I mean, imperfect people, y'all tracking with me? You're like, what did you just say? It's okay, it's all of us, right? There's no perfect church, just like there's no perfect recipe, but what we have in the book of Acts is a standard. What we have is something to sort of whet our appetite for what God could do if he gets a hold of a bunch of ordinary people turned passionate followers of Jesus. And what we have are some key and core components that remain the same from antiquity to modernity. And they're worthy of our energy and attention. What we see in the book of Acts is a church as supernatural as its master Jesus because he promised nothing less. What we see in the book of Acts is what is described by outsiders looking in as these people who turn the world upside down. How many of y'all, that sounds like a pretty effective movement. It's not perfect, but it's beautiful. It's messy, it's got all these things going on. It's very human, but supernaturally empowered and it's real and it's potent. And this morning, I want us to take a look at this original recipe in the book of Acts to see what exactly are these core components that make this community so quite literally world-changing. Are you guys up for that? All right, let's do it. One core thought, one big idea, I wanna unpack it for us together and here it is. You're never fully alive until you're fully living in the green. You're never fully alive until you're fully living in the green. Some of you are like, what in the world type of cryptic stuff is that? Fair, I'll get into it. Point number one is this. Disciples of Jesus, worship. Everybody say worship. Turn to your neighbor and say worship. Worship, disciples of Jesus worship. Let's look at the original recipe here. Jump back in to Acts 2, verse 46. Every day, it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. In verse 42, we're told they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. These disciples, they're a worshiping community first. They're in the temple. They're devoting themselves to the scriptures, the apostles' doctrine. They're devoting themselves to prayer. They are committed to loving God. This was a worshiping community. If you remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about the Shema. It's this great tradition, this, the bedrock foundational Hebrew prayer that Jesus emphasized and reiterated with his disciples. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. You're like, what is that? It's Hebrew. It's okay. I'm from a Jewish background. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God. Say it if you remember it with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Jesus says, this is the first and the greatest commandment. The first commandment, love the Lord your God. Jesus said, it's actually the most important. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff God said. Yeah, that's true. But Jesus said, this one is the most important. It comes first. This first commandment, it's our first priority. If we are endeavoring to be disciples of Jesus, we love God. We seek God. We pursue God. These earliest disciples in the original recipe book of Acts, they continued to live out a lifestyle of worship. We represent this visually with this yellow arrow pointed up towards heaven. This is worship. It's worship. It's where everything begins. You say, John, what exactly does worship mean specifically? It's more than just Mav City and singing songs on Sunday. So let me break it down. Worship means we give ourselves to God's word. In verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They gave themselves to the scriptures. They gave themselves to the teachings of God that had been revealed. When we talk about worship, it must include a devotion to God's word. Why? Because we need opportunities to, God, for, to hear God speak. We need opportunities to hear God's voice. And in the scriptures, God has spoken and he has not. That was a dad joke so hard. And he has not stuttered. He's spoken through his word. 
God's word, Malik talked about it last week. God's word, it, it does something within the human soul. God's word, it makes us strong. God's word, it brings fortitude. God's word, it gives clarity. It gives direction. It gives wisdom. How many of you are like, I could use a little bit more wisdom? Yeah, like four of y'all. The rest of y'all are straight. Okay, that's great. The rest of us in here, we could use a little more wisdom, which means we could use more of God's word. Worship means we give ourselves to God's word. Here at Greenhouse, following the trajectory of thousands of years of church history, we believe that despite human flaws and inadequacies and failings, God is competent enough to preserve his word. And so his word is perfect, converting the soul. His word is inspired, profitable for doctrine and correction and reproof and training in righteousness. We believe in the potency of God's word. That's one component of worship. Another component is this. It means giving ourselves to prayer. It means being devoted to prayer. This is, as we hear God's voice through his word, we are then entering into meaningful dialogue with God. This is what prayer means. It's both talking to God and listening for God to speak back to us. God invites us, which is pretty mind-blowing if you think about it, the almighty, omnipotent God invites us to relationship that is not just uh, trite and, and, and trivial and sort of cursory. He invites us into deep and meaningful relationship, and we engage in that relationship through his word and through prayer. What we see in the book of Acts is that exciting things happen when God's people pray. In Acts 4, we, we see some of the disciples, they've been imprisoned, they've been, their lives have been threatened, they've been beaten, and they finally get released. Remember, this is at the very beginning. We get kind of the whole story. They're right, it's happening in real time. And so, I don't know about the rest of y'all, but if y'all got imprisoned and beat and threatened for your life, I'm a little freaketh outeth. If like, I, like I'm kind of, I'm a little bit nervous. And these disciples were pretty ordinary. They were nervous as well. So what did they do? They got together and they prayed. In Acts 4, it says they get together and they pray and they say, God, we're freaking out a little bit here. Jesus, you're not here with us in the flesh anymore. Like, help us, give us boldness, stretch out your hand to heal with signs and wonders and deliver. They, they make these requests to God in prayer. And then verse 31, it says, and after they pray, somebody say after. After they prayed, you ever been in a situation in your life, at your job, with your family, and you just don't know what to do? Here's what these disciples did. They brought it to God in prayer. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Exciting things happen when his people pray. Powerful things happen when his people pray. Meaningful things happen when his people pray. This is not just hopes and thoughts and aspirations to the clouds. We are communicating to a God who cares and who can and he does when his people pray. By the way, this is not just something did back, God did back then in antiquity. This is something he continues to do, as a matter of fact, here at Greenhouse during the month of January. Like, to start this year, we've experienced this. Like, we have seen in this past month miracles happen in our midst. We heard a testimony about a baby in the womb that was resurrected. We've heard testimonies about insomnia being healed and chronic pain being uh, restored. Like, we have watched as God's people have leaned in in prayer, we have watched God do what he has always done, which is respond to the fervent prayers of his people. Insomnia, chronic pain cured, and I'm guessing we would all acknowledge it's no coincidence that it happened in the midst of a heightened season of consecration, fasting, and prayer. It's almost like, I know this is crazy, y'all. It's almost like prayer works. Who would have thought, right? It's almost like this whole God thing is not just pie in the sky idealism. It's almost like God's real, because he is. And he responds to prayer. Michael mentioned it in the announcement video. We, we've made a significant shift even organizationally. When, when Pastor Robert came down, who was our former microchurch pastor, he, we started doing morning prayer at our hub office space in Tamarack once a month. And, and then eventually that was so fruitful and helpful and faith-stirring that we moved it to twice a month on the first and third uh, Tuesday of every month. And over the course of our time in January of consecration and prayer and fasting, we did it every single week. By the way, if you ever have space, well, I don't need to say it like that. You have space in your schedule at 
6.30 in the morning. It's called sleep. If you would like to sacrifice some sleep for the presence of God, potency, miracles, signs and wonders, and God changing your life and rocking your world, I would love for you to join us every single Tuesday at 6.30 a.m. at our office space in Tamarack. We moved it to every single week because we believe that God moves when his people pray. Worship is giving ourselves to God's word. It's spending time with him in prayer. And lastly, it is giving ourselves to the work and the power of his spirit. We talked about this a few weeks ago together that Jesus gives his disciples this incredible mandate, what we call the Great Commission. He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey. He says, you've got a big mission, but first you need to do what? Wait. Wait for, Nancy's like, why do you ask people a question and they say that wrong answer and they feel bad? I'm sorry. (laughs) My wife is always right. I should know this by now. Jesus said, first, you gotta wait to receive the power of the spirit. If we look at the original recipe book of Acts, we watch over and over and over again a recurring character in the narrative. It is the Holy Spirit. He is quite literally the promise of the Father sent to provide us with the boldness and potency to fulfill the mission that he has given us. We're convinced that the presence, power, and gifts of the Spirit must be the regular experience and reality of his people, of his church, because it certainly was in the original recipe here in the book of Acts. Disciples of Jesus worship. Disciples of Jesus make the first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, their first priority. We seek him first, and as we've talked about together, we seek him most. We commit to a lifestyle of worship. By the way, when we live like this, we thrive, don't we? I mean, think about it. Over this past month, during the month of January, we set apart the first 21 days to consecration, fasting, and prayer. And my guess is, if you joined us in that, you were probably thinking something like, you know, I don't know if I quite love the fasting thing, right? Can we be a little honest? Like, I don't know if I quite love that part of it, but man, I gotta admit, it sure was effective. Like, it made a difference. It changed my mindset. It changed my mentality. I was a different type of person when I was living more intentionally in light of God, his goodness, his grace, his word, his promises. Like the more prayerful I got, the better I seemed to be at life. Right? Anybody else with me? I'm like, man, let me, I know I'm like Pastor John. I'm just John. I just love Jesus. I'm a disciple. Like John personally, I'm like the fasting thing. That's not my favorite. But man, January was effective as a human because we were created to worship. We thrive in a place of worship. It got me thinking, what if we didn't just start the first 21 days of the year? What if we kind of went 12 months of the year? What if we kind of went 365? Maybe don't fast that entire time, but what if we pressed forward saying, God, I want my life to be more and more characterized by a lifestyle of worship. In the original recipe, number one, these disciples worshiped, and number two, they did not do it alone. Disciples of Jesus live in community. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's true. Say, you need me. You need me. I need you. I mean, we need each other. Verse 46, some of you spouses were waiting for that moment. That was, that was beautiful. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. These disciples lived in community. It's really one of the more pronounced challenges of our modern moment culturally. We live in a very individualistic culture, and yet the reality of scripture, and especially the book of Acts, this original recipe of God's people is clear. You don't just need God, you need God's people also. I was hoping for at least one amen, but okay. You don't just need God, you need God's people. These earliest disciples who were living in a worshiping, who were worshiping God, were worshiping God in community. We represent this with a blue segment there of community. They were worshiping God, but they weren't doing it in isolation. There's all these togethers, and every day together, they broke bread together. They prayed together. They studied the Bible together. They always seem to be together. 
You're like, John, what does community exactly mean? I want to break this down as well. When we're talking biblical community, I've got three core components. And if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to jot this down. I know I'm throwing a lot at y'all. The first one is authenticity. Authenticity. When we talk about biblical community, we're talking about authenticity. You know, we, we do microchurches here at Greenhouse. They're, they're little hyper-empowered small groups that end up becoming uh, very much so uh, living, breathing representations of church in a smaller setting, hence the term micro-church. Go figure, right? It's ingenious. And so we, we have these groups and we talk about them all the time. And if you've been coming to Greenhouse for any period of time or you're new here, or you're watching online, the second you walk in, you probably get invited to three, four, five of these things before you're even done. You're like, I get it, microchurches, okay. And, and so it is sort of un, inevitable when someone finally shows up, my wife and I have been leading a microchurch for almost 15 years now, you, you sort of have learned a little bit of what to expect from church people. And so all the time, the first visit of somebody to a micro church is in their spiritual self. They show up, at my, I mean, it's just at, a, it's at our house, but, but people show up and they're like, oh, yes, hello, how are, how are you? you? And they're like, people don't know what to wear. Like they, they show up and they're like, ah, and, and you, know how, you know how church people are, man. You're like, man, do I, like what, are they gonna get offended if I like, do I have to speak in King Jameth as I walk into their house? Like you're talking to your friend, yeah, what's up, bro? How you going? And you walk in, hello, brother. Why do we do this? But it happens, I get it, you don't know, right? Church people are weird sometimes. And so people show up all the time and they show up and they're, they're in their like bu most buttoned up version of themselves. Like, oh, bless, bless the Lord on high, it's great to meet you. And I'm like, hey man, what's up? So people come in and, and, and we break out for, for a time of prayer and sharing and encouragement and accountability. And, and, and you know, you don't really know what to expect, but, but, but eventually people realize like someone's just, people are just being themselves, sharing their heart, being authentic. And, and it's inevitable, someone comes for the first time, they don't kind of know what to expect, and they come for the second time, and they're like, man, y'all are just kind of like talking from the heart and like letting loose and sharing things that I'm like, oh my gosh, can you talk about that with Christians and them not like beat you up in front of you? Like, what? wow, and then and inevitably, all, after a couple of weeks, people are like, okay, well, and then it comes out. Well, I've been smoking weed for a couple years and nobody in my family knows and I don't think my spouse knows and I think I'm addicted and I don't know what to do about it. Or, okay, my business is actually on the rocks and I haven't told my family and I'm not quite sure and I feel ashamed. Or, okay, and I've been struggling with this issue and honestly, I felt horrible about it. And all of a sudden, as you spend time with a community of people that are committed to authentically loving God and being authentic with one another, the real stuff comes out. Eventually, it it gets real. This is, this is authenticity. What we find in the book of Acts is very ordinary people being very authentically broken, bringing their authentic brokenness to God as he makes them whole in the context of community. Here's the moral of the story. God wants the real you. And so do we. I, I, maybe you've had no experiences with church people. Maybe you've had bad experiences with church people, and, and I'm so sorry. I am one, and I've had bad experiences with church people because church people are just people, <laughs> right? We do our best. But God wants the real you. You're like, if God knew the amount of times I have someone interact with me as like a normal human, and then somehow, and I try to hide it with all of my life, but they find out I'm a pastor, and all of a sudden, they're like, hey, John, what's up? What's up? Hello. And they're like cussing up a storm before and then they stop. I'm like, I just heard, I heard you. Like you're, you're good, you're being you. God wants the real you. And so do we. Doesn't mean I want you up here on the mic cussing in church, but God knows. You guys know this, right? Like if God only knew, he does. And he still loves you. God wants the real you. And so do we. We need, we function, we thrive in spaces where we can be our authentic selves with our authentic struggles and our authentic doubts and our authentic challenges and our authentic celebrations. We need spaces where we can genuinely be in the space that we truly are, not where we feel like we need to be. When we talk about biblical community, it is a space for authenticity and the second A word, accountability. Accountability. 
I know sometimes this can be misused, abused, or, or done in unhealthy ways, but, but we need healthy, loving, kind, gracious accountability. If uh, Let me use an analogy to illustrate this. Uh, if you've ever been in a space and had a booger in your nose that everybody else saw but you, this is the need for emotional, healthy accountability. Like if, you've, like if I was up here preaching and I was just like giving it my all and I just had a big old booger hanging in my nose and like I preached the whole sermon. Some of you are so grossed out right now. I preached the whole sermon and I got done and I'm up here praying for people and I get done with everything and I drive all the way home and see it in my own nose in the mirror. I'm gonna be so mad at y'all. Why? Because nobody loved me enough to walk up that Pastor John, I love you so much, bro. You go backstage and pick your nose. Right? In the same way, how often are we walking around with emotional weight, baggage, and boogers, and everybody else sees it, but no one loves us enough to come up, put an arm around us, and say, hey, bro, go ahead and pick your nose. This is accountability when it's done healthily. This is coming around somebody and saying, hey man, I know you don't see that thing, but everybody else sees it and it's inhibiting you from being the version of yourself that God created you to be and you long to be. So in loving care and compassion, I'm gonna come up to you and do it in private and come up and say, hey buddy, pick your nose. It's accountability. I, I know we live in a culture that is enamored with this idea of self-awareness. I got to let you in on a little secret, though. You rarely become self-aware by yourself. Why is counseling and therapy just exploding within our current mindset? Because we have realized, based off cognitive psychology, you are very limited in self-awareness if you're the only self that's trying to be self-aware. That made no sense. But y'all know what I'm saying. Our abilities to act, to assess ourselves are chronically poor. We're either way too harsh and critical, which is most times, or we're way too gracious and permissive, which is sometimes we need people who truly love us and truly know us to help us pick our spiritual and emotional boogers, or at least call them out, because picking them would be weird. This happens in community. Why? Because you can be very genuine and genuinely wrong. Right? You and I, we, we need people in our lives, not in just shallow, superficial ways, in deep heart, genuine ways, where we lay our heart out on the table and people sit in it with us and, and experience it and it's authentic and it's real. And they also appropriately follow up and say, hey, bro, I've noticed something a few times now and I just wanted to talk to you about it because I feel like it's not who you want to be, but it's what I've seen. It's accountability. It's authenticity. Lastly, biblical community, it's, it's diversity. It's diversity. When we're talking about biblical community, it's, it's full of diversity. God reveals his heart for his family, his tribe. It's every people, tribe, tongue, nation, and language. God's vision and his heart for his people is one of diversity. Matter of fact, we see this reflected in the book of Acts, in this original recipe. At the very beginning of Acts, this community of Jesus followers is largely from Jewish backgrounds, almost exclusively. As they move along in trajectory, the, the Hellenists and the God-fearers come in, those who are not originally born from Jewish backgrounds but have adopted Jewish lifestyles. There begins to be a little bit more diversity. As you get towards the end of the story, it's everybody. It, it's, it's the Jews and the Gentiles. It's the nations, every tribe. To, we see this, and guess what? As diversity becomes more and more a reality of God's people, the church gets more and more potent. That's not by coincidence. That's by design, because God loves diversity. You guys know it, it's his idea, right? That God loves diversity, and so do we. Diversity is not an accident, it's his design. Disciples of Jesus worship, disciples of Jesus do that in community, but one more key ingredient, and lastly, number three, disciples of Jesus live on mission. Everybody say mission. Worship, community, and mission. We see it right back in Acts. Every day they met together, temple courts, breaking bread in their homes, eating together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, what does it say? Daily, those who were being saved. This community was loving God in worship. They were doing this together in community and they were experiencing the reality of mission. God added to their numbers daily. 
This is a consistent tension. We experience it all the time. If you've ever been a part of a microchurch that was just thriving and alive, you've experienced this. God starts moving. The group starts getting close and you're like, man, this is so good. And then you're like, this is awesome. And then you like bring a friend, but then someone else brings a friend, then someone else brings a friend, then someone else brings a friend because everybody loved it. They all brought a friend and now you're bursting at the seams. And all of a sudden we're like, this is so good. And the tension is to feel like, man, nobody else invite any other people because we don't want to miss what's happening. We don't want to lose out. We're like, this is so good. I, I just want to keep it to ourselves. And then you're like, that sounds like spiritual selfishness. Because the reality is God loves you, but he doesn't just love you, he also loves them. He loves the world. This community in the book of Acts was vibrant and it was potent and it was full of worship and they did it in community and they always had room for one more. The Lord added to their numbers daily. Those who were being saved, those who were being rescued. See, God is on a mission. These early followers of Jesus, these disciples, they joined God on his search and rescue mission. We represent this with another blue arrow called mission. It's worship, it's community, and it's mission. You say, what does mission look like? In Acts chapter nine, we're probably given one of the best examples of a life being transformed, a conversion story. There was this guy named Saul. He's literally a religious terrorist. He has an encounter with Jesus where he quite literally, this is Acts 9 if you want to read it later, he quite literally gets knocked off his high horse and he's freaking out and he's like, what's happening? And it starts with Jesus responding and saying, he says, who are you? I'm Jesus, boom. He's like, okay, well, he got my attention. He literally gets struck with blindness and he's just like, all right, I repent, I'm I'm changing my ways. Jesus says, stop doing this. You're persecuting me. He's persecuting Christians. And so it starts with worship, but then you remember the next thing that happened? God tells Saul, hey, I'm gonna send someone to you to pray for you. And he sends a man named Ananias. Ananias steps in and, and Ananias, when he prays for Saul, now become Paul, his eyes are open. He's supernaturally healed. He gets with the disciples. He's restored with Saul's story. It starts with worship. It starts with Jesus. Then it moves into community, Ananias and the disciples. And then check this out in verse 19, which I think is there. And taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples. So there's community. And immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he's the son of God and all who heard him were amazed and were like, isn't this the dude just killing these people and now he's with these people? Very confusing, I'm sure. And has he come here for this purpose to bring them bound? It starts with Saul, with worship. God immediately moves him into community. And then lastly, it says, immediately he goes out on the mission. By the way, this is probably not just his story. I'm guessing this is a lot of our story. If you remember when you first met Jesus and you encountered him, no one probably had to tell you, you should go out and tell people about this. They were, you were like, man, try to stop me is what I'm guessing happened, right? You told everybody you could, you talked to your neighbor, you brought your friends, you talked to your coworkers, like they could, you were so excited about what God did because that is a sign of the Spirit's work within a heart. You just can't help but tell other people about what God has done. Disciples of Jesus live on mission. Part of this is definitely to preach the gospel, but I, I really felt impressed for, for weeks to highlight one specific aspect of this mission for our community this morning, which is this. It is vitally important to get God's mission, but not miss God's heart behind his mission. It was sort of interesting this week. Greenhouse sort of went low-key viral on the internets. Um, or I don't know if it happened this week, but I got brought to my attention several times this week. Uh, one of these like Christian hater accounts that like pick apart things. It's like a whole weird world. God help Christians. And um, so anyways, they were like picking apart and we've got a part of our vision statement that says we long to be a church that where people can belong, feel like they can belong before they believe and believe before they behave. And they like showed that clip and then they were like, and then at the very end, the guy's like, oh, you belong in hell. This is a clip. My first thought was like, man, this guy must be a favorite in his neighborhood. I bet his neighbors really want to hang out with him and hear about God. Um, it was an interesting moment, though, because I'm like, you know, I, I don't disagree with that idea. Like, I'm like, amen, so do I, right? Like, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're like, uh, yeah. But 
the, the tension when it comes to mission, to communicating the gospel, to, to going out and sharing the good news of Jesus is that if we're like, man, Pastor John, the scripture talks about repentance. It does. The, the scripture talks about God longs to see people repent. Yes, it does. You're like, John, I, I wanna see people repent. Amen, so does God. The question is, how does God bring people to that point? How does God bring people into a place where they change their mind and eventually their heart in relation to how they're living their life? And when we think about that, I want us thinking about one word, and that word is kindness. Kindness. I was listening to a podcast, and it was this author, Malcolm Gladwell, who I think is one of the smartest people in in this modern era. He's an incredible thinker, sort of a, a statistical analysis guy, and he's written a bunch of business leadership books, and he's beginning to have his heart stirred for faith in Jesus, apparently, which is very cool. So he was talking about this journey of faith that he's been on, and, and this is what he said. He camped out sort of randomly. They were like, hey, what do you see in the landscape of America and, and faith? You're, now you're, you're investigating faith. And he said, you know, I think the Bible talks so much about kindness because kindness needs to be practiced in order to be remembered. He said, it's so easy to forget how to be kind. It's much more a habit than it is an isolated action. I think the need of the moment is kindness. About a month and a half ago, we had Dr. Tony Evans here in South Florida, and he came. There was a bunch of churches. We do something together called Church United. It's like 150 churches all throughout South Florida, different creeds, different denominations, different backgrounds, all Christian churches who are like, we've got the same CEO in heaven. We're gonna be on the same team in heaven because we're on the same team on earth. We might as well start working like that now. And so Dr. Tony Evans came. He's like, I love that. And so he came down, and in a side conversation with a bunch of pastors down here, the small room, he was talking and, and they asked him, you know, Dr. Tony Evans is one of the, we're, we're here in Black History Month. I mean, I don't know if there's a, a black history, a leader in the church like Dr. Tony Evans in terms of the trajectory that he's left of faithfulness, character, and what an incredible minister of the gospel. And he's all over the world. And so they said, Dr. Evans, like, what do you think is the opportunity in our moment for the gospel? And you know what he said? Kindness. I don't know about y'all, when like Malcolm Gladwell, the brainiac, and Dr. Tony Evans, like the preacher of preachers, say the same thing, within two months, I'm listening. He said, you know, I've just realized in our modern cultural moment, something that we have all but lost is kindness. People want justice, but often what they mean by that is vengeance. People want to stick it to whoever has done them wrong. People, they're like, everyone's on the lookout to make sure people get what they deserve, but no one's looking out to bring kindness. He said, so if our world needs transformation, if our world needs God, the missionary to come, if our world needs the gospel, we know how God leads people to repentance. You know what Romans 2 says? It says it's God's kindness. It's God's kindness. Greenhouse, I would love if we would become a church family on the lookout with eyes like our father looking to bring about his kindness. Dr. Evans had these little cards and and he's like, you know, I just, I actually have like 30 of them. So if you want one, come up to me after and I'll give you one. But he had these little cards and, and they just say, I'm trying to create a culture of kindness. And he's like, I'm just encouraging people to go out as, as commissioned followers of Jesus to bring his kingdom, to bring his mission on earth as it is in heaven with these little cards and to be looking for ways to show random acts of kindness. And when they do, they can talk to someone about Jesus if they feel comfortable. But even if they're in a rush, they're like, I don't know what else to say to just give them this card. It's got a little QR code that takes him to his website. And it's just a gospel presentation to say, here's why I'm doing this because God has been so merciful and kind to me. I'm just trying to spread his kindness wherever I go. I love that. I love that. To go back to the video, you belong in hell. I'm like, I do. I totally do. I totally deserve it. Like my, my rebellion against God. All, by the way, the scripture says that's the case for like every human. So amen to that. But I'm not, why? Because of God's kindness. Because God in his infinite mercy and love, because God was so kind that in the midst, it says while we were still sinners, while we were still in active rebellion against God, Jesus came down and God loved us. We exist because of God's kindness. So if God leads people to repentance through kindness, wouldn't it be a great idea to follow suit? We engage in the mission 
It's a mission of kindness. Disciples of Jesus live on mission. By the way, Jesus, the image of the invisible God, this is what he did over and over and over in the gospels. It says Jesus moved by compassion. And Jesus, when he saw the man, he was moved with compassion. He, he saw them and he was like, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Over and over, Jesus is not moved by wrath. He's not moved by frustration. He's not, he's not sitting there. Jesus is overwhelmingly motivated by mercy and kindness. Yellow, worship, blue, mission, blue, community, you're like, you still haven't talked about green. Okay. When you have a lifestyle of worship that meets a lifestyle of community intersecting with a lifestyle of, worship, of, of mission, you get the yellow and the blue intersecting to make, whoop, there it is. You're like, that is the simplest vision ever. Exactly. So we can remember it. This is, this is the call. This is our dream that as followers of Jesus, Disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, they live in the green. You're not fully alive until you're fully living green. Here's what I mean, and here's what happens. All of us, by default, probably have one of these that come very easy to us. You might be a worship person by your default, and you're like, oh, my God. Pastor John, I love you. Great, great, great. Can we just get Cece and the team back up there? Like, please, can we just, I, I wish we could have worship the whole time. You're like, man, put on Mav City, Bethel, whatever. Like, you are a default worship person. That's your jam. You're like, man, can we just talk, can Malik talk every week about the Bible and scripture? Like, can we just do that? Like, that's your thing. Typically, people gravitate towards one or the other. You might be a community person. You might be a mission person. Every now and then, you might move supernaturally by how God's wired you to two of those things. You're like, worship is my top, or man, mission is my top, but I, I like being around people as well. But rarely do we do all three by accident. It's an intentional pursuit. But you're never fully alive until you're fully living in the green. This has become such a helpful diagnostic tool. I don't know if you've ever been in a spot where you're like, man, something just, it, it just feels off spiritually. Something just, it, it just doesn't feel right. I'll use this as a personal diagnostic tool when I'm just feeling off spiritually. If you could put the graphic back up there. If I'm just like, man, I, I, I don't know, something's just off. I'm like, okay, I'll run myself through this index. Okay, where's the worship arrow been? No, it's been good. I've had great time with God. I, I feel like I'm not just doing it as a duty. It feels meaningful. I'm enjoying God, time with God in his word, in prayer. Okay, what about community, man? Nancy and I, we love our microchurch. We have deep relationships being formed there. What about mission? Ooh, snap. I know I'm a pastor, but I just can't count the stage stuff all the time, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I want to be. And so when's the last time I shared the gospel with someone? When the, when's the last time I did something intentionally for or with the poor? When's the last time that I stepped out in an intentional way to address the brokenness within my community and my friend group? I, it helps me retether back to the core. It's not just yellow. It's not just blue. It's green. Are you guys tracking with me here? Disciples of Jesus live in the green. Application. Here's what I'd like us to do. And I'd love for you to actually take something out to write. It can be your phone or some sort of utensil, pen, pencil, paper. I'd love for us this week to take a green assessment. I'd love for us this week to, to sort of look into, God, how have you wired me and where am I at? In Guyana, watching online, I'd love for you to do the same thing. Question number one is this. Which color, which component comes most naturally for you? If you could put back up the little living in the green graphic so we can look at it. Is it worship? Is it community? Is it mission? Which color comes most naturally for you? You, you, you almost feel like you don't even have to try. It's just, it's just who you are. It just flows out of you. It's helpful to know that because whatever that component is, I would love for you, for us, to bring that to the table in micro church and macro church every time we meet and gather to help other people. Because your area of strength where you don't even have to try and you've got so much passion is someone else's area of weakness. And when someone brings their strength where someone else is weak, the whole body gets strengthened and built up together. You're like, that sounds like a Bible verse. It is, it's Corinthians 12. Take, take inventory of the area that so, comes so naturally based on how God's wired you. And when we show up in microchurch, when we show up at Western on Sundays, bring that passion spot to the table and burn because we need you. We need you. Number two, which color is the most difficult for you? 
Worship, yellow. Mission, community, blue. Which color is the most difficult for you that you know if I didn't very consciously try with the help and grace and mercy of God, this would probably never if rarely happen. Maybe you're a lone, lone ranger. You're like, I love spending time with God. He, he never disappoints or stabs me in the back. But people, that's another story. Which one's the most difficult for you? Now, here's why it's important to know, because once you know, my encouragement is to lean into other people with strengths in the area that you are weak and ask those people and God for help. takes humility. This is where we so often go wrong. We often look at somebody else when it comes to comparison or envy or jealousy. We often look at someone else who's strong in areas that we, that we are weak and we make the right assessment, but the wrong diagnosis. We say, man, they're better and I'm worse. So I feel horrible about myself. No, they're good in that area. I'm not. So let me go learn from them. That's life. That's the church being the church, but it starts with an awareness Why? Because we thrive not just in blue or in yellow, but all of the above. We thrive. We were created. We function at maximum capacity in the way God has made us in the green. By the way, this does not just work for an individual. This works for a microchurch. This works for your family. Parents, I would love for you to take this same assessment home with your kids and look at where's our family at in relation to worship and mission and community. The same dynamic will apply. One area is probably super strong. The other one's like, ah, eh, decent-ish. And the last one is absolutely missing if you're not very intentional, which you can be if you know. This works in a microchurch. Our prayer is that every single individual would be living in the green. Every single microchurch would be living in the green. Every single serve team would be green. Every single macro church would be green. We want green everywhere, worship and community and mission. But how do we get there? The reality of this dynamic is that it rarely, if ever, happens by accident, but if the end game is green, it always starts with yellow. It starts with God. We worship. We're, we're invited into a place of worship. We, we move forward in this great commandment, love the Lord your God. We love God, Scripture says, because why? Because he first loved us. And from that place of worship, God then welcomes us into community. We get adopted into his family. Ultimately, we culminate in going on mission with God because he went on a search and rescue mission for us. And he pursued us with his love and his kindness and his kindness led us. So many of us in this room, it's our story. His kindness led us to repentance. I had a strong sense as I was prepping all week long and in our time of pre-service prayer, which by the way, you're always invited to every single Sunday morning at 10 a.m. in the teacher lounge. One of the intercessors said, you know, I just felt like God said, he's just standing at the door, knocking on hearts and he just wants people to let him in. I'm like, did you read my notes? It's in there, like right there. I felt the same thing. Obviously it's tongue in cheek, it's God. Had a strong sense that that you've been sensing, scripture says exactly that. Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock. Maybe you've been sensing that little knock and you haven't quite known what to do with it. And you're like, I feel like if it was God, like it would be like, boom, like he'd like break through the door, like spiritual SWAT team. Like, I feel like if it were actually God, he'd, it would be more pronounced. It would be more, no, see, here's the thing you need to know. God is not the spiritual SWAT team. God is kind and gentle. And he stands at the door and knocks. And it says, if anyone would open the door, I'd love to come in. All the changes, all the renovations that you've been desiring in your heart, in your life, that you've been endeavoring to do on your own and they never work and they never stick and they never last, that's because you can't do them, only he can. And he wants to. But you need to let him in. Why don't you join me as we pray? Lord, I'm asking right now that in your kindness, you would lead us to repentance. 
I'm asking right now in your, your kindness, you would show us areas in our thinking and in our approach to life that are actually sabotaging the very things we're wanting to do and see and the people that we long to become. Lord, would you show us aspects and areas of our life in your kindness because you love us so much that we need to change, shift, repent of, change our minds about. And Lord, for anyone in that spot where you are knocking, I'm praying that they would hear the door and let you in. I wanna give us a chance to respond. If you're here this morning and, and you want to begin the journey toward green, it starts with yellow. It starts with God. It starts with worship. It starts like it did for the apostle Paul, who was the first to Saul who got knocked off his high horse, literally for us, it's metaphorically and say, I, I can't do this on my own anymore. I need help. I, I need change. I need a transformation. I need strength. I need clarity that I can't muster up on my own. I've been trying. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm done. I need help. You're right. And Jesus offers that help. He's a present help in times of need. You say, what do I do? You, you tell him that. You surrender. You engage in worship. It, it, it's something along the lines of, Jesus, help, I need you. I mean, even right there in your chair, online, in Guyana, you can begin to pray a prayer of surrender in your own words, something along the lines of, Jesus, you got my attention and you got me. Like, I'm, I'm done running. I'm yours. I'm yours. I surrender. I need your help. Teach me, change me, help me. Jesus, you're the Lord, you're the King, you're the CEO, you're the leader. I'm gonna follow your lead. I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna take my cues from you. You got me. Maybe you're here this morning and you have begun that journey with Jesus of surrender, but over the course of our time together, or maybe it's been happening for a while now, you realize that you've been living in the yellow or in the blue and you sense God leading you to live in the green. Worship, and community and mission. And you know, I, I, I tried, I can't exactly, but it'll help you. Even right there, wherever you're at, you can ask God and invite him in. Jesus, help me, teach me, change me, change my heart. I, I, I want to live in the way that you've designed to thrive. I, I wanna function in what we see in your word, this original recipe, it's worship and it's mission and it's community. It's all of the above, Lord, help me. He will.